0: Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Jesse Mike, who's a fourth-year resident at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Jesse is originally from Beam Nebraska, completed college at the University of Nebraska and went to medical school at Baylor College of Medicine. His academic interests include hand and upper extremity surgery and general reconstruction. Jesse, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So I'd love to start by hearing a broad overview about your program at Mayo.
1: So I think we have a I think we have a great program here in Rochester. It's an integrated 6-year program with pretty early plastics exposure. We're fully immersed in the plastic surgery experienced by our third year uh, with about nine months of plastics within the first two years. Most of our training is in uh, Rochester at the Mayo Clinic. We have two different sites, uh, and that's where about five and a half of the six year completed with uh, an additional rotation down in Arizona, and then another rotation at a community hospital about an hour and a half away.
0: What do you do there?
1: We go there in our second year of training, and it's it's technically a general surgery rotation, part of our general surgery core, but there's also a plastic surgeon there. So we do kind of the uh, a wide variety of surgery. We do basic general surgery procedures, you know, lap appies, colies, put in chest tubes, things like that, but we also have the opportunity to work with the plastic surgeon who's hand trained, so doing bread-and-butter hand cases, no carpal tunnels, trigger fingers, fractures, PRCs, as well as bread and butter plastic surgery procedures, breast reductions, paniculectomies, breast reconstruction. And uh, it's actually one of my favorite rotations in the early part of our training. You get the experience outside of the big academic center being in a smaller place. You're the only surgical resident. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. They let you operate and have a lot of autonomy at a, at an early stage of training. And it's just a very different feel than being in the big academic center. So it's a nice, it's a nice addition to the training program.
0: How much time do you spend there?
1: I spend two months there.
0: Do you commute during those two months, or do you stay closer to that hospital?
1: Mankato is the town. It's about an hour and a half west of here. It's, uh, I think there, it's around fifty thousand. So it's a little bit, a little bit of a smaller place. But they have an apartment complex for us there in Mankato, so you don't have to commute back and forth unless you you know, happen to be on call for a weekend you may have to come back but otherwise you just uh you're in Mankato for for those two months and just focus on that rotation.
0: And can you talk a little bit about the Arizona rotation?
1: Yeah, so we go to Arizona in our 5th year of training and we spent 4 months down in Arizona. We split our time between uh, the a county hospital, Maricopa County Hospital, with one of our senior staff surgeons down there who does burn surgery craniofacial reconstruction, craniofacial trauma, uh, a little bit of everything. We spend some time in a private practice aesthetic center with Dr. Shapiro, who does a lot of facial aesthetics, facelifts, breast blouse, injectables, uh, and kind of the spectrum of aesthetic surgery. And we also spend time at Phoenix Children's Hospital to augment our pediatric experience here. We spend some time with them, you know, doing clefts, craniosynostosis, and the spectrum of, of pediatric plastic surgery down there,
0: and so you mentioned you do about nine months over the first two years, and then by your third year, you do entirely plastics rotations from then on,
1: yeah, that's correct, so our intern year uh, you get three months on plastics, and it's usually split between the two hospitals, the St Mary's and and Methodist. I can talk a little bit more about kind of that division, but we spend three months on service as an intern, and the remaining nine months are spent. On general surgery and kind of the general surgery subspecialties like trauma, ICU, we do a month of uh, the general surgery chief service, which is uh, takes care of a lot of the acute care surgeries, vascular, orthopedic trauma surgery, things like that. As a second-year resident, you spend six months on plastics split between the two hospitals, with the other six months being more non-general surgery subspecialties. Specialties that are more closely related to plastics. We spend some time with ENT, oculoplastics, OMS, dermatology. Great rotations, actually. Even though we're not on service, we're still seeing you know really great cases. A lot of head and neck reconstruction, really cool oculoplastics procedures. It's a really nice lineup second year, and then third year is when you're you're kind of fully immersed and you're on plastics the rest of the way.
0: So there are two hospitals associated with the primary Mayo Center?
1: Yeah, so Mayo Clinic is comprised of Rochester Methodist Hospital and St. Mary's Hospital. The cases are split between the two. We have plastic surgeons that operate at both, and it's about 50-50. Half of our plastic surgeons are at Methodist and half are at St. Mary's. Our Methodist surgeons, they do a lot of breast reconstruction. That's where our transgender surgery, for the most part, occurs. The secondary procedures that we're involved with are usually colorectal, gynecology, some urology, because those services are, are based out of that hospital. St. Mary's has the houses the Level 1 Trauma Center, the emergency department, and a lot of other big services, orthopedic trauma, vascular, thoracic, cardiac, a lot of those are are housed at St. Mary's. So the practices at St. Mary's, craniofacial surgery, hand surgery, and then all of the kind of the secondary procedures related to those other services are located at St. Mary's Hospital.
0: Which of the two sites has more of the pediatric services?
1: St. Mary's. Within St. Mary's Hospital, there are a few floors that are dedicated pediatric floors. And actually, we just opened a new OR tower that's a dedicated pediatric surgery center, more or less, so that's where most, if not all of our pediatric surgery experience happens is at St. Mary's Hospital in that dedicated tower, both you know craniofacial and um, congenital hand, and then of course all the other, um, like general surgery and other pediatric uh, surgical services
0: and are there any independent residents or fellows?
1: No, we no longer have any independent residents. Last year uh, was our last class of independent residents, so it's fully integrated now. And we do not have any fellows within the plastic surgery side of things, no micro, craniofacial, or transgender fellows. There are hand surgery fellows that rotate with us, kind of combined with orthopedics. But that's the only fellowship that folks that we usually work with.
0: How would you say that lack or just having a few fellows impacts your overall training experience?
1: I think it's overall positive. I think it's nice, you know, not having the fellows around to share cases with. There's a micro case or a cleft or whatnot that is going to be your case. So I think it's really nice in that sense. I also do enjoy working with the hand fellows. They take call with you, and so they're always there to kind of back you up or serve as a liaison between you and the consultant when you're on hand call. The way it works with us, so. We have one plastic surgeon who takes on the hand fellow for a rotation, so there's always a hand fellow with him throughout the year, and he just happens to be one of our busiest surgeons, so the extra help on his services is always welcomed, and in general, they're all very competent, very intelligent, very good to work with, and I think it only strengthens the program, having them there to kind of bounce things off of and help us along the way.
0: And what are the research expectations like?
1: Yeah, so we have the expectation that you'll complete—it's kind of a fluid number; it's changed throughout the years, but it's somewhere around the ballpark of three primary publications, whether those you know be book chapters, review articles, or other research articles. But three is kind of the number, and it's pretty attainable. There are a lot of resources here that are. Fairly easy to access. We have great research mentors, just a high clinical volume, good databases, things like that. I think it's a pretty easy number to attain, and we have a lot of support to get it done. And actually, they do a really good job supporting us and funding us to travel for research. So we can take up to 10 trip days per year. I guess this is pre-COVID. There have been some changes since COVID, but hopefully they return back to normal post-COVID. But we uh, have the opportunity to take 10 trip days per year for meetings that are, you know, fully funded up to, there's a budget that I don't know the exact numbers, but, you know, they fund your travel, your your lodging for up to 10 trip days. That's in addition to your normal vacation time. It's solely for trip purposes. So it's basically an extra two weeks during the year that you can take to, to travel as long as you have something, a poster, of, uh, an abstract, a podium. Some sort of presentation, they will uh, gladly fund you and, and get you to these meetings. And you know there are different levels of involvement in research between the residents. Some who, you know, just kind of do what they have to to get through, and and some who are very passionate about it and really take advantage of all these opportunities. And they use all ten trip days per year, and they travel all over the country and the world, presenting their work and going to these meetings. I think it's a a really nice part of the program to have that much research support and funding to pursue what you're interested in.
0: Are there any opportunities for elective rotations?
1: Yeah, so as of now, we have one month of electives, sometime in kind of the senior part. Usually it's in the fifth or sixth year of residency, and you have the freedom to go wherever you want it's funded. You know, there are some electives that others have done in the past that are more established, but if you want to spend a month with this certain person, as long as you can kind of make the arrangements and make it work, they'll, they'll fully support you going to do that.
0: Are there any opportunities for involvement in global surgery, whether that's through research, short trips, longer experiences?
1: Yeah. Dr. Mardini and Dr. Byte, those are the two consultants that annually do a mission trip. I think Dr. Mardini goes to Peru and Dr. Bite goes to India. Both of them do craniofacial surgery, so they go on mostly cleft mission trips. And every resident goes with one of them as part of their training. I think it's a week-long mission trip, but that is built into the program. So every resident uh, will do that during their training at some point. And I've heard nothing but glowing reviews about both trips. They're a lot of fun. You get some one-on-one time with your mentors and you get to operate and help people. And it's great that it's built into the program. So every resident will do it.
0: If someone wanted to do even more like during the elective time, you'd be able to use that?
1: I think so. Actually, I know one of our current residences, COVID has certainly thrown wrenches in a lot of people's plans, but I know she, one of our current residents was planning to do an extra trip uh, with another consultant who's going on. I don't know where they were going and I don't know the exact logistics of it, but she was in the process of, of making it happen to go on another mission trip.
0: And what's the cosmetic experience like?
1: So we do, as I mentioned, in Arizona, we go down as part of that four-month rotation. We work with Dr. Shapiro. He does solely aesthetic surgery. So we get that kind of private practice, business side of things, high volume aesthetics. And then actually, in I believe in October of this year, Mayo is launching their aesthetic center where they're kind of revamping a clinical area to bring together multiple practices, you know, plastics, ENT, doculoplastics, a few different people who have interest in aesthetic surgery and kind of combining that into an aesthetic center. And we're all really looking forward to that and excited to see how that will kind of mold things and guide things here. So we get, you know, some experience outside of that. So I guess now we have a few of our surgeons who have interest in aesthetic surgery from, you know, face to body to breast to do that as you know part of their practice currently, mixed with the reconstructive practice that they have here. But I think it will change a little bit with uh, the formation of this aesthetic center, and hopefully have a little bit more dedicated time for that.
0: Is there currently a chief resident clinic for cosmetics?
1: No, we do not have a chief resident clinic at this point.
0: You mentioned a little bit about your gender affirmation surgery experience. Could you give me a little bit more detail about that?
1: Yeah uh we have one surgeon here who does all of it at this point and he does facial feminization top surgery both female to male and male to female and then he does gender affirming vaginoplasty so basically the only thing he doesn't do at this point are phalloplasties i know they had talked about it at some point trying to to start that program and they've talked about maybe hiring somebody to try to jumpstart that practice. I don't think you know there's anything in motion at this point, but I think it's a future goal to develop that program. But as of now we're doing, like I said, vaginoplasty and then kind of the spectrum of top surgery, facial feminization.
0: And when during your training do you have the opportunity to work with that attending?
1: So we work with that attending as a fourth year and a sixth year. So I'm actually on his rotation right now and it's a really great experience. He's an awesome teacher and I've really enjoyed my time with him.
0: Is that kind of the way your rotations are by specific attending services for a month or so?
1: Yeah, so I think that's a a really important part of our program and something that I would like to highlight. A big reason why I chose to come here is the training style is pretty unique. We have a true mentor style program. You know, it's not closely followed during the first two years because you're off service so much, but once you start plastic surgery as a third year resident, we start a mentor style program where you are paired with a specific attending and you will be with them for two months at a time and it's an apprenticeship you're with them if they're in clinic, you're in clinic if they're operating, you're operating you know of course they have admin days and the days they're gone where you may be reassigned to help elsewhere or if it's a busy operative day you may get pulled from clinic to cover somebody else's o r things like that but for the most part, during that two months, you are with them one-on-one the entire time, which is really great. It's pretty unique. I don't think there are many programs that have that, and I just think it's a, a really fantastic way to learn. You get to see the patients in the pre-op clinic. You operate on them, take care of them in the hospital, see them back post-op, and you really get to you know, follow them through, and you really develop good rapport and a good relationship with that consultant. They, they know what you know, know... Where you are from a technical standpoint, know your abilities, and they can kind of guide you and push you, and really help you grow over that two months. Um, And having that consistent relationship really, really helps. That I I really love it, and I said that's a big reason why I wanted to come here.
0: And is moonlighting possible at any point?
1: No, we do not moonlight.
0: Are there any other perks about the program you'd like to share?
1: So food, we do get a food allowance. It's something like fifteen hundred dollars a year, or something that we can spend on food at the cafeterias, and yeah, it's pretty good. It's always cafeteria food, but I think it's uh, I think it's pretty reasonable as far as courses go. One thing that is really nice during our second year of training, we all take a microsurgery course. So we spend a week in the micro lab. We have a rat lab where you can go, and during that week, you start with tubes, and then eventually you're performing. Microvascular anastomoses on rats uh, by the end of the week. And then once you complete this week long course, you can kind of find time on post call days or, you know, if your consultant has an admin day or whatnot, where you can go into the lab and continue practicing these anastomoses on the rats. It's so nice to perform them on rats versus like, you know, just practicing on tubes. You get the, the tissues handle much more similar to doing a real anastomosis and you can see if it stays patent. And that's a really nice resource that we all have access to. I think, you know, people come in from all over the country to do this course and we just have it as part of our training, which is super nice. We have like a yearly thing where we, you know, have the opportunity to purchase Mayo Clinic plastic surgery attire, jackets and things.
0: With the rat lab experience. So, any time after you do that 2-week course, then you kind of have access to go and do you have to like let them know ahead of time? How does that work in terms of how often you can go?
1: So they have, I think they have four scopes in there and there's one person who kind of runs the lab. So you just have to work with him to find when he has an open slot. So usually if you can give, you know, a few weeks notice, you can look at the schedule ahead of time and figure out when you might be free or, you know, when you might have a post-call day. And then you can just shoot him a message, say, hey, Bill, do you have any free scopes? I'd like to come in and work on a rat if you have one. And others will say yes or no. and And that's all there is to it. One other thing I would like to talk about is just the call schedule. One thing that is nice we do have post call days here, so all of our call, whether it's just a plastics call or a face call or a hand call or whatever it may be, you do have a post call day the next day, meaning that you're you know after you clean up your service and things the the following morning you have the rest of the day off after your call shift, which it's just really nice from a you know quality of life standpoint to you know have that free time to Either rest up after a busy call or, you know, go to the dentist or a doctor's appointment or just take care of some things that are often really challenging to take care of in residency when you're so busy and, you know, some things just need to happen at normal business hours. And that gives you an opportunity to recharge a little bit, take care of some of those things and be ready to go the next day. So I think that's a nice part of our call system.
0: So, now I'd like to hear a bit about your program leadership. So, your chair and your program director.
1: Dr. Samir Mardini is our chair. He is most well known for doing the face transplant a few years ago, and he is just a truly incredible surgeon. He is technically incredibly gifted, and having the chance to work with him is really special. And I think it's really a privilege for us all just to see some of the things he does and the challenging cases that he takes over. And he just as a surgeon, he's incredible, and it's a great experience to work with him. He's been the division chief for, I think, a year, two years now, maybe during my second year of residency. He, uh, he took over, and he's very supportive. He was the program director prior to becoming the, the division chief, so he kind of has that perspective. He does advocate for the residents, and I think he's a great leader from a resident standpoint. Our program director, Dr. Bakri, he is incredible. Um, I love working with him. He is probably one of the best teachers in the program. He's notorious for taking like a five-minute washout and making it a 30-minute case because he just loves to teach. And he'll always ask for a marking pen and start drawing things on the drapes. And like I said, he just, he loves to teach. He can, you know, make a carpal tunnel a, a really excellent, you know, teaching case. And he's phenomenal to work with. And as a program director, he is very passionate about what he does, very passionate about the program, and is always trying to find ways to make the program better, uh, revamping things. He just recently kind of revamped our rotation schedule to try to make it a little bit more reproducible and consistent over the years, so to try to kind of optimize our experience. And I think he's been PD for a year or two, and just in a short time, he's made many changes for the better. And I think he's a, a really nice asset for the program because he is so passionate about what he does and really passionate about being program director. And then we just recently kind of upgraded one of our consultants to associate program director, Dr. Harless, just to help with you know curriculum development and trying to optimize that side of things. So really strong leadership, really pro-resident and advocate for us.
0: Can you tell me about a time when you or another resident brought up a concern to the leadership and how they responded?
1: So after my intern year, one of my co-residents, Sean and I, we, you know, we had a good experience, but we just thought that there were ways that we could make things better, that there's room for improvement. So we actually put together like a whole list, like a whole sheet of things where, you know, what what was good, what was bad, what we wish could change. We literally didn't even have an appointment or anything. We were just in the, in the neighborhood. So we knocked on our program director's office and said, Hey, do you have a minute? This was Dr. Bakery. He's like, yeah, of course, come in. So unprompted, we just like barged into his office, put this sheet, like whole sheet of notes on his desk. And we're like, you know, this is what we think. This is what we wish we could change. And we spent like an hour in his office, just going over things. And literally that next class. So when I was a PGY2, that intern class, There were rotations that were completely cut from the intern schedule based on that feedback and you know, further changes have been made. So he's very receptive. Everything with him is incredibly well thought out, well reasoned, and like I said, he's always trying to make make improvements in the program and is and is very receptive to our feedback.
0: Can you tell me a bit about the camaraderie and relationships amongst the residents?
1: Yeah, I think we have a really great group of residents. We all get along very well. I think we have a really diverse group of residents, too. A lot of people from, you know, different places, different backgrounds. And like I say, I really love all my co-residents. You know, we try to have, again, outside of outside of COVID times, we try to have, you know, regular parties throughout the year, whether it's Halloween or Christmas or, you know, just going over and grilling in somebody's backyard. I think we have a really great group, a really hard-working group, and uh, really happy with uh, with our group of residents that we have here. I think one thing that's probably different about our program, given that it is a mentor style versus a team style, is you're often not on a team with like five residents, you know. You're often by yourself with consultants. So that can be a little bit different than having a, a large team of residents but it's just kind of how the program's built but that being said I don't feel like that retracts from the social part of things you know I always look forward to seeing people at our morning conferences or afternoon conferences or just on the weekends uh, socially and like I said I think we have a really great group of residents here
0: can you tell me a bit about how residents live in Rochester so do they mostly rent own houses apartments
1: so Rochester is a very easy place to live. There's no traffic. There's hardly any commute. I think if you live in Rochester, you won't commute more than like 10 or 15 minutes, which is really nice and convenient. We all get free parking, which is really nice. It's a topic of debate here because parking is a very hot commodity. And so the fact that residents get parking at all the locations is is a, a really nice bonus. And it's it's free, which is also really nice. I would say most live in houses. Very affordable, very attainable to have a home. I live in a three-bedroom house, nice backyard, about 10 minutes from work. And I would say that's pretty standard is to have a house. Definitely some live kind of closer to downtown and apartments and things. But I would say most that want to have a house, have a house. And it's very attainable to do so.
0: And are most residents single, married, kids?
1: I think it's about fifty-fifty. 50 50 married to single and then several of us do have kids in the program maybe three of us have kids so it's definitely not the majority that's one of the things you know the the things about male that you hear is like oh everybody here is married and has kids and there are no single people and i can definitely tell you that's not true there are thousands of trainees here in the various surgical and medical subspecialties and programs and just great diversity People from all over the place, all over the country, all over the world, single, married, kids, no kids. So it's definitely not the case that everybody here is married and has kids and lives in the suburbs.
0: And is it necessary to have a car?
1: I would say yes. There's not great public transport. You know, there's a bus system, which actually a lot of the ancillary staff bus in because, like I said, parking is a a commodity and very limited. So a lot of people do bus in, but just from a resident standpoint, you probably could bike most places in the summertime, but in the wintertime, you probably don't want to. So I would say, yes, a car is a necessity.
0: And so what do you like about living in Rochester?
1: You know, for me, I truly like the simplicity of living here. Like I said, nothing is more than 10 or 15 minutes away. There's no traffic, no headaches there's no worrying about parking or you know driving back and forth to six different hospitals and figuring out where i'm going to park my car or sitting in my car for an hour and a half after work you know i can just buzz home and hang out in my backyard or escape from the hospital so i think it's a very easy place to live there's not a lot of headache or hassle it's very affordable and i do think the southeast part of minnesota overall is is underrated i think it's a very very pretty place to live actually just this morning, my wife, uh, my son, and I we went. And we drove about a half an hour, and we were at one of our favorite state parks, where we spent, you know, an hour and a half hiking through the hills with some, you know, really nice trails and nice views. And there's that kind of stuff all over in this part of the state, especially as you go close to the Mississippi River. There's a lot of beautiful state parks, a lot of great opportunities to get outdoors. And then, of course, if you head north, there are plenty of lakes, and you know, way north towards the Boundary Waters. It's just a uh, really beautiful, actually, and a lot of chances to enjoy the outdoors. But sorry, getting back to Rochester, a lot of great trails, great parks around the city, and then actually, I think the food scene and the entertainment scene is a little bit underrated here. There are plenty of great restaurants, bars, and things to do within Rochester. I think a lot of people, especially you know, when you start talking on the interview trail and whatnot. You get the impression that, you know, if you want to go to a decent restaurant, you have to drive to Minneapolis, which is a very doable thing. It's only about 80 miles away, but there are a lot of really nice restaurants and bars and things to do within Rochester itself that I don't think people know as much about. That being said, Minneapolis is a phenomenal city. It's about just a little over an hour up the road, and, you know, that has anything you could want. Great food scene, great entertainment, live music, sports, and that kind of stuff. So it's nice to have that just up the road. And I would say some of my co-residents, they'll go up once a month or you know on a weekend. It's very easy to make a weekend trip out of it. If That's the kind of scene you're looking for. You need to get away for a little while.
0: How are the winters?
1: The winters can be long. The Minnesotans know how to handle their snow, which is nice. So I've never had a problem. I shouldn't say never. There was two winters ago, we got just a ton of snow. They called it Snowmageddon. And it was uh, it was pretty rough. But for the most part, the Minnesotans, they handle their snow really well, uh, don't usually have a problem getting to work. There are nice tunnels, both above ground and underground, that connect pretty much all the buildings uh, within the hospital system and a lot of the downtown businesses as well. So when it's freezing cold outside, you don't have to trudge through that to get to work, get from place to place. I think Minnesotans in general and people up here, you just kind of learn to embrace the winter. There are a lot of fun things you can do, whether that's snowmobiling or ice fishing or cross-country skiing or just trying to embrace the, the winter. And the flip side of that is the summers are phenomenal. Fall and spring are great most places, but the summers here are just really great. The weather's phenomenal. I love it. The winters can get long, but like I said, I think you just find ways to enjoy it and make it worthwhile. And there are a lot of things here to kind of bypass the tough parts.
0: That's most of what I wanted to talk about. Do you have any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of choosing a residency?
1: I would say, you know, very happy here uh, at Mayo Clinic. I think we have a really great training program. I think we have a really broad, diverse surgical experience. I think Mayo is known for being a big tertiary referral center. So of course you get all of the stuff that comes along with it. And I think you know part of the strength of our program is just the strength of the programs that we work with you know the orthopedics and vascular and thoracic and some of these that are just really world renowned really high ranking programs training programs and the ability to work with those consultants those residents is a lot of fun and they're always challenging us and pushing us with what we can offer and what we need to do for these patients just based on the complexity of cases that you know that they're working on it really challenges us but that being said we don't always only see zebras here we you know we still do the bread and butter we still do some aesthetics we still do breast reductions and distal radius fractures and carpal tunnels and facelifts and all the kind of more typical things but we also have the benefit of seeing some of those really complex things that are referred from all over the country and all over the world which is a lot of fun just with The process, I'm sure it will be different this year, but hopefully it gets back to normal soon. But just try to enjoy it. If you have the chance to travel, to see any places, if things change, it's a great opportunity to see a bunch of different places in the country. And even if you don't, just kind of cherish the opportunity. You're going to speak with a lot of people. You'll get to meet probably virtually a lot of the big names in the field, and it's not a chance that you'll probably have again for a while. So just try to cherish the opportunity, enjoy it. It can get stressful, it can get long, but just enjoy it along the way and just try to find a place where you feel like you're going to fit in. Six years is a long time to be in a place. So you just need to find a place that you'll enjoy being for six years and enjoy the people that you're around.
0: If medical students are interested, how can they find out more about your program?
1: We fairly recently revamped our website and I know one of our residents is in the process of continuing to add more information. So I googled a Mayo Plastic Surgery residency, and the first link that came up was ours. So there's a lot of great information on there, but we've also become a lot more active on social media lately, especially Instagram. So our if you just search Mayo Clinic Plastic Surgery, that should get you to our Instagram page. and. You know, we're just trying to showcase more things on there to you know show y'all what kind of cases we do, who we are, show you a little bit about our faculty and our residents and life in Rochester. Those are probably the two best ways to get a feel of what it's like here, what it's like to be a resident here and if you want to reach out to me, I'd be happy to answer any questions, especially you know as the interview season starts firing up if you have any questions about. Rochester, I'd be happy for y'all to reach out to me on social media or, or whatnot um, to answer any questions.
0: Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Jesse.
1: Yeah, of course. It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.